Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. Welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast, where each week I'm bringing you the most exceptional and renowned faces from around the world in the entertainment industry, on the sports field, corporate leaders, and inspirational thought leaders. They're all right here to share their own truths and personal journeys. Today, I have a truly remarkable guest. He's a powerhouse in the world of mixed martial arts, a man whose incredible journey has seen him become an inaugural champion in Bellator and a prominent figure in the UFC's welterweight division. But there's so much more to this fighter than his impressive record and skills in the octagon. Lyman Good, otherwise known as the American Cyborg, has not only conquered the world of professional fighting, but is also a champion to cause much closer to his heart, mental health awareness. Lyman's story is one of resilience, strength, and the unyielding pursuit of personal truth. He's not just a fighter, he's a warrior, a beacon of inspiration, and a voice for those that need it the most. Throughout his career, Lyman has not only battled opponents in the cage, but also his own demons outside of it. He's become an advocate for mental health awareness, sharing his personal struggles, his experiences and wisdom to help others overcome their own. In an industry often defined by toughness and resilience, Lyman has shown that true strength lies not only in physical prowess, but in the courage to speak one's truth and to use that truth to inspire change. Today, I sit down with Lyman to delve into his life, his incredible career, and his dedication to making the world a better place through his advocacy for that mental health awareness. Get ready to be inspired as we learn from the man who has fought his way to the top of the MMA world while fighting for the well-being of countless others. Well, first and foremost, Lyman, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Well, it's an honor because I want to say, aside from the accolades and everything that you've achieved inside your fighting career, the person that you are and the content that I read and everything about you, you just come across as one of the most humblest guys with the hugest amount of energy to give back and fight for the little guys. Where does that come from? Uh, honestly, I, I think it was just uh, taught to me throughout my career from my mentors. You know, so I, I was essentially in my fight career raised by two brothers, the Shulmans, Ronnie and Danny Shulman, who are my coaches. But they're also mentors of mine. And, you know, they've done a pretty good job of keeping me in alignment with humility. Yeah. Um, I was just very, you know, I, I want to say I got lucky with having the right people around me to show me to never let my head get big not that i don't personally think it ever would but part of that i think is also inadvertently a projection of maybe you know um lack of confidence when i was younger that i was never you know no matter what amount of money i I'd, I'd have or success that i'd you know achieve i think that in a weird kind of way the lack of self confidence i've had kind of dampened any overabundance of confidence I could ever get later in life. So yeah. I don't know. I, I attribute it a lot to my mentors, to be honest. Well, I want to dive into that when it comes to you growing up, because there's a lot around that, that that you even say there, not a lot of confidence. When you see people who 
have basically through media been perpetuated onto this pedestal as the ultimate in their career and successful. And we often think that they epitomize success through confidence and everything. But alluding to yours, more introvert when you was a little kid, you used to write and write your thoughts down and music was a was an escape for you? All these forms of expression were kind of my escape. Uh, I didn't start early in martial arts. It came later for me in life. So I was looking for any way to expel a lot of demons that I had as a kid. Um, so for me, it was music. It was writing. It was art. I was very in tune with, you know, the art, an artistic side of myself. Um, you know, and there, there was a, an experience that I went through as a kid you know, where I was put away in a, a psychiatric institution, locked up with, you know, with psychopaths and crazy people because of the contents of what I would write. And because of the way I would think, and it did kind of make me feel ostracized, made me feel like I was set apart from the rest of the world that is so amazing and is perfect. And so that never quite sat well with me. The idea that there's this perfect world around us and we're looking up to these other people who are supposedly perfect, but yet I'm just trying to, you know, I guess, um, exercise my demons, so to speak. And I'm just trying to express myself and get a lot of, you know, things that I was going through released. Mm-hmm. But by doing so, I felt judged. So growing up was a little interesting in terms of who to look around for as, you know, a reflection of who you should try to be versus who I was. So I think there, that disconnect is unfortunately what a lot of people, I believe, experience is just not really knowing who to look up to as uh, mentors or you know life coaches or just someone that you want to try to aspire to become mm-hmm. because they feel so disconnected from that especially in a world of you know social media and instagram and you know everything is picture perfect you're encapsulating these perfect moments of other people's lives but meanwhile everyone's just as fucked up as everyone else nobody is perfect and i think once you realize that you start to embrace it and start to actually hone in on your own imperfections. Yeah. Well, I think that's important when it comes to that, because like, as I say, this whole ideal of success and what people think and people compare and compete and look at other people and think they could never go through anything until you hear their story and then you're clapping the loudest for them. So can you take us back even right to the beginning? So I believe you're from Harlem, New York City, what was it like growing up? A lot of interview you've spoken about, like there was a lot of gang areas and everything. How did you remove yourself from going down that road? There was always a part of me that felt um, very repelled by average. I don't know what it was and I don't know what did it for me, what seed was planted very early in my life, but I always felt different. You know, and it's not to say better than anyone else. It's just I always felt different. So because of that, I never quite fit in with my environment. And the environment that I lived in at the time was a gun-toting, gang-banging, drug-dealing neighborhood, poverty. Uh, I lived in the projects. If any of you guys are familiar with uh, Spanish Harlem, New York City, it's all projects. And it's, you know, it's all gang territories, basically. And I lived where I lived was actually right in the middle between two rival gangs, you know, so I never had any affiliations. I never had a flag. I never had anything to try to allow myself to be claimed by anyone, by anything. 
I was just always free. But growing up, because of that also made me very alienated because I never really had, first of all, a lot of friends. I didn't have a father figure around to really lead the way for me. And um, I had a lot of figuring out to do at that age, very early on. So growing up in that environment just kind of forces you to either give in. It's sort of like a make or break environment. You either give into it and repeat the patterns of what's predominantly in that environment, or you make something different. But that's going to be a very challenging, difficult road because different in that environment is not accepted. How do you, if, if you are in that environment, if there's anybody listening to this, if there's any kid that's out there that may be experiencing that now, how do you navigate going through that away from the noise and keeping your head straight and fixed on what you want to do if they're feeling a little bit different as well? Oh, my God. I mean, please, please, please stay in yourselves and don't give in i promise you me being on the other side of it i would not have changed anything about the way i I was raised and being in the environment the way i combated everything as difficult as it was it pays off later in life so what i would say is to a younger me to anyone who is in that same environment which i know a lot of those people is to please form your own opinions, be yourself, embrace what you are, what you feel, don't run from it. And more importantly is to not let other people influence who you are. Never let somebody make you feel that you're not allowed to like the things that you like, you know, be about the things that you want to be about to just roam this world free. Because when you spread your wings and you navigate, even in a terrain that is against you, those, I believe, are the types of people in this world that become great at something later on because of that upstream battle that you've had to do for so many years. You just learned for doing that for so many years, going against the grain. I believe it fosters a type of personality type in you that later on in life, when you're out of that environment, you start to look for ways to like really live your life and do amazing things in this world. I believe many greats in this world were people that fought upstream when they were younger. Mm. That's so true. And where did the fighting come in for you then? Because I know, like, obviously from things that I've read, that it came from from the anger and, and directing it at something that was conducive to you. So my relationship to anger is... <laughs> it's a... It's a I don't know how to explain it, but it's a very twisted type of symbiotic relationship I had because the anger, as much as it was very destructive, was also the thing that became my instrument of success. It was my anger that I tapped into all these years and, you know, of fighting and with my career. And the root of that was not having a father around. The root of that was not having people around me, really. And, um... Other things that I, I had gone through, you know, I, I went through at a young age, around the, the age of nine years old, um, went through, you know, uh, sexual abuse. I went through physical abuse. I went through just uh, abandonment issues and just kind of <laughs> left in a, you know, in a world to figure things out and learn how to silence a lot of the, you know, the the negative loop that I, that was running in my head for all those years. But anyways... 
it was my anger that became my freedom, but it was also my shackles. And um, it was later in life when my father passed away that I've, I experienced something almost even worse than what I've experienced as a kid. And it's just this feeling of a loss of identity. Because without my anger, I didn't know who I was. Part of the reason I haven't fought and, you know, I get asked a lot, you know, when am I fighting again? You know, and what's what's happened, what's going on? It's been, I believe, almost four years. Really, it's the answer to that is depression and having felt like I lost my sense of identity because I don't have anger anymore. My father's gone. The vein of my existence is gone, my anger. So years earlier, you know, it was all good because anger helped me to not be part of the environment. Anger helped me to stand up for other people. I got kicked out of five, like uh, five high schools in my time, you know, um, for beating up the bullies. That was always something that bothered me. Mm -hmm. um, anger was a thing that I use as, you know, as a weapon to do good things, ironically enough. So... You know, like listening to that, though, it's um, I just want to say, like, how amazing it is from such a masculine dominated sport and the fighting and the talk of it. But the other side of it, the vulnerability and sharing that, because often we hear men keep it quiet, don't share your feelings and things like that. When did you or is this through your healing process start talking and sharing your story? I think it was a. And sort of a domino effect, and it all started with a, uh, a podcast years ago that I was asked to do. If anyone's familiar with the band Kill Switch Engage, which you know I, I listen to heavy metal, I'm big into rock music. Uh, lead singer Jesse Leach personally reached out, and I was you know uh, I was uh, humbled by the fact that he'd asked me to be part of his podcast, and I was like, absolutely, you know, but. There was also a great deal of hesitation to it because that was in the midst of my worst. And I said to myself, like, all right, but what am I going to talk about? I can't talk about all the shit that I'm going through right now. I can't talk about the, you know, substance abuse, the alcohol, the other, like all the stuff that I was doing to myself to punish me. I was punishing myself for almost three years. And he had reached out in the midst of that. And hesitantly, I agreed and I said, okay. And um, if you watch the episode, it was pretty interesting because it almost seems like there were two separate episodes. In the beginning, it was a typical masculine, yeah, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm good. And um, the questions about fighting, the automatic responses. And then I reached a point where it was just like, I'm in such a low point in my life, I almost stepped out of myself and I looked at me and I said, like, Simon, like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are we still doing this? Your anger is gone. Is <laughs> your father's gone. You don't know what reason to fight because your anger is, you know, misplaced right now. What are we doing? And uh, at midway through that episode, you can almost see the shifts. And I, Literally, you know, in the middle of the podcast said, you know, this is bullshit. This is, it's not real. I'm not a good person. I'm, you know, actually right now, you know, neck deep in shit right now. And uh, a pretty dark place. 
And I think that was the first time I've probably opened up ever in, you know, in my, what, 17 years of my career and was very forthcoming about what I'm actually going through, which I believe the world is, is going through as well. But people in my position wear this mask of masculinity. You know, I, 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 I spell the word masculinity with a K, by the way, for that reason, masculinity, because we have to wear that. And that's the persona we put on. And I put that on for almost 17 years of my career. And I said, fuck it. I started talking a little bit about it. I wasn't too specific. I don't think people need to know the details, but they could conjure up an idea. And um, I even started tearing up and crying. I, I, I was a mess. <laughs> and um, I was embarrassed. I remember the first thing when we ended that, I was just sitting there like, like, what the fuck did we just do, you know? So every time I was getting a message on social media, once the, the episode was released, you know, I, I flinched and I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. You know, um, every time I opened the message, each one was expressing more of a form of gratitude for the fact that I had opened up. And almost everyone or every other one was saying the same thing, something along the lines of, thank you, I, I needed to hear that. Thank you, I'm going through something right now that meant a lot to me. Thank you, I needed to hear that. It was just a lot of that that I was receiving. And even some of my students, because I, I teach martial arts for a living, I'm a owner of a martial arts school in, in uh, New York City. And my students, even amongst the population of those I've been training for years, suddenly opened up and would say specific things, you know, very personal things. I was like, holy shit, like, I didn't know this about you. But because I was forthcoming about my shit, they were forthcoming about what they were going through. And then I said to myself, like, wow, I think I've been going about this the wrong way. You know, I've been putting on this persona. And it's not to say that I'm not strong, that I'm otherwise, you know, like weak or like I'm emotional. We're all emotional. It's just the difference between learning how to control the emotions. But I kind of went very far into that side of the spectrum. And I was just, you can't break me. I'm unbreakable. I'm strong. I don't feel things. You know, I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I was putting that persona. Yeah. And I was even convincing myself that even when there's no cameras around, that's a crazy fucked up part is that alone in a room, that persona was still being carried. I was wearing that mask all the time because that's the way I needed to be as a kid. So um, anyways, long story short, there was that and, and um, a re my relationship with my sister. She, um, her and I have been kind of not distant, but I've just been in her life more as like an older brother slash father because father wasn't around. So I try to fulfill those duties. But during those three years of me self-destructing, I was pretty honest with her of what I was doing. And um, she said, this is probably the closest I felt to you, to be honest. And I asked her why. And she said, well, I never wanted Superman as my brother. I just wanted my brother. I just wanted someone to be there. And the dynamic of our relationship changed after that even because I realized like, wow, like I've been putting on this persona, wearing this mask, being this, you know, image of masculinity that I felt I, I had a responsibility to at all times. 
not realizing that people actually value you more for showing your authentic self, being vulnerable, you know? Doesn't mean to be emotional and let your emotions take over, but to be open, vulnerable, and let people know, like, yo, like, we're all human. I go through shit and you go through shit. Even at my level of what I do, especially with the pressure of it and, you know, at, at that high, you know, of a level and a career of what I do, that even us fighters feel things. We just don't talk about it. Yeah. Man, that's so powerful. Um, and thank you for sharing that. I did watch that interview. I listened to it whilst I was training and I watched the YouTube and I could tell the energy shift, like you said. It, yeah. But that's the thing, isn't it? With guys, they just don't want to talk about it. And sadly, we still lose people because of that mask. How did you then transition through your healing period? There was a series of little things, honestly. There wasn't one particular thing. I, I can't say to the people that, you know, oh, it was just, just one thing I did that changed my life. But if I had to try to pinpoint one thing, it was just making the decision. When you decide to make the choice to want to change, because as much as we want to change or say that we want that we will change, at the end of the day, it's in your heart, flipping that switch and saying that I want to change truly. And what is it going to take? So for me, it was just um, I had to learn to kind of uh, disconnect from my past. Essentially, just you know, there, there's a lot of context. It's not I'm not you know saying that it's kind of hard for people to see the the time frame of everything, but from nine years old, I'm talking about as a nine year old kid. I've experienced things that no nine-year-old should that did things to me that at 37 years old, 30, you know, 36 at the time of my, around the time my dad passed at that age, I realized I had some shit I had to deal with and I had to unpack. And it wasn't until he passed where this series of events that happened, I lost my faith in a lot of things and religion, spirituality, faith in myself, faith in people. I lost love for myself because I didn't love myself. You know, my last conversation with my father was um, anger. I didn't know it was, it was going to be our last conversation, but the last time we spoke was filled with rage and me letting things out from being a nine-year-old, you know? Um, anyways, all these things to say that I, you know, I started to change just when I made the decision to say I have to change. Now, what helped it was just disconnecting by not listening to the music because there's things that we don't really just just by patterns and habits we don't realize we still do and they're keeping us in a loop. And I realized for me because you know I'm very musically driven and you know I, I love music and the arts so. Music was keeping me in this loop. And I know we like to rom romanticize misery sometimes, and we love hearing songs that kind of remind us of a past time or it's sad or whatever. But I had to stop with that because it was putting me in this loop that I couldn't escape. The other was just literally getting rid of a lot of objects and things that reminded me of the past. Like I had to just essentially be someone different. Mm -hmm. I had to make... The, the switch, I had to make the decision and I had to make the choices to remove all things of my past, not become someone different, 
but to be someone that I was meant to be all along, but I ignored it in exchange for the mask of strength my entire life. And for any guys that are out there that that do try and hold this masculinity dominated kind of that mass thing. I just want to say, because obviously we can't speak as experts, but as our personal experience, I've been through my darkest days as well. And I can assure you, it isn't easy going through that healing process, is it? How is it for you? Because you know, sometimes what we see on, on highlights, and I'm not talking about your story, I'm talking about anyone in general, where it's almost like, somebody's going through something one minute and then they almost seem to be fixed. It takes a long time, doesn't it? How long was that process for you? And obviously you might still be working through it. Cause I know sometimes with everybody, it's still an ongoing thing. Absolutely. I mean, you hit it on the head. Um, you, um, first of all, healing is never linear. And as much as you heal and you get better and there's these beautiful, amazing, nice, bright, sunny days, the next day, it's dark, dreary, cold, and the weather just ain't right. So don't expect a linear progression when it comes to healing. Um, and, you know, that's to also say, like, I'm still in it. I'm just in a better place where I can at least speak of it. I was before and just in such a low point. I mean, I, I had a gun pointed to my own side, you know, to the side of my own head at one point. I was ready. Things stopped me. There was a thought process that went on, but that was my low for me. So I went from that to at least being on the other side of it where I, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. Um, I stopped the self-deprecating behaviors and the self-destructing behaviors. So to, that's to say that I'm still, you know, I have my days. We all do. But Anyone who says, you know, one day uh, you, you're going through what you're going through, the next day, oh, I'm good. All right, let's go. You know, I think are um, in a nice way of saying it, full of shit, because it doesn't quite disappear that way. In your mind, you could forget. Your body doesn't forget. Your pain body doesn't forget. That shit is still in your bones. It's in there, especially when it comes to the affairs of things that happened to you as a kid. That's so many years set apart from memory that the only reason you're just not experiencing it even though it's showing and you know in maybe your behaviors and in your personality the only reason you may not be feeling it is because of um, memory you forgot about it and just because you know over the years you just you move on and yeah you you know you look forward you don't look back anymore but it's still there and i think a lot of the people just need to recognize that and a good symptom of that that reveals itself is in a form of what we like to call a midlife crisis. I think people who call it that are really people who have just been living lives of silent desperation for a very long time, and they just didn't know it until suddenly they have this thing that you know we call a midlife crisis, when all it really was is that they ignored the signs, they disregarded the inner child of them, and they just didn't really heal from the baggage that they've been carrying their whole lives. Yeah. You know? It's it's so true, man. And then there comes the career. Like you've had an incredible career. How do you, because this is one thing about the IPC, there's the accolades, there's a success, and everybody knows you as that. 
but then not many people know you as the person behind the profession. And that's what I like to get to. So when the success comes and when everything's being attained, mm-hmm. and you're moving in these circles, how do you keep that noise out of your head when there's articles about you and when people want to know this about your life and that about your life, but they don't know the full scope of what you're going through at the time? How do you navigate that as a sportsman? Because obviously you've got mental resilience through what you do as training, but no one can teach that in your mind neither, except you. That's a that's a good question. I think a lot of athletes are um, not just athletes, but anyone of a high position who's you know regarded of a high status definitely feels the pressure to have to maintain a certain mask and image because weakness can't be seen. And some uh, there are some careers and some positions that there can be weakness, at least shown weakness. At the end of the day, we're the human body. We we have a human experience. We're going to feel human feelings, no matter what. A fighter will go out there and still feel nerves, because I sure as hell do. A um, soldier in the middle of war doesn't mean just because he's running out to the battlefield, you know, guns blazing, that he doesn't feel fear. Those emotions are there. It's just there are some careers that there has to be a necessity of strength and overcoming the, uh, you know, the emotions. The, the, the emotion... And the job can't be close to each other. It has to be the emotion set apart from the job done. You have to get the job done. The soldier has to achieve his mission. Uh, a doctor who's performing a surgery maybe on a, on, a, on a child that reminds him maybe of his child, and he has to have steady hands, has to separate himself. So there are certain times and instances where it is needed. The important thing is to address it at some point, to understand, or at least being self-aware of that fact. Sometimes we do it for so long that we forget that that at the end of the day, that's just an avatar. That's a character that we're playing. Mm-hmm. But underneath it, there's still you. You are not that character. You are not that avatar. You are not those feelings. You have other things that are going on beneath. Um for me personally, what helped me throughout my career, you know, you said in the beginning, it was the humility. I think my humility kind of keeps me in a position that's fixed, that I don't go and, you know, I, I don't ride the wave of, you know, being this persona. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I have this rule when I'm with my friends, I don't really talk about my fights. I don't talk about my career. I like to level up, you know, of course, unless they ask, then uh, it's an open table. But I level off. I'm human at the end of the day. I separate myself as a fighter because when I'm not fighting, I clock out and I learn now to be just me. Mm-hmm. So I think to answer your question, the humility for me is what helped me, helped keep me in check, keep me in a fixed position where I'm not following and chasing these characters too much and always you know, kept me grounded. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's what I love about people when it comes to hearing people's story because you'll – this podcast and that, people often think if you've got a celebrity on a public figure, you're going to talk about their career. And it's really often surprising when you go past that because you're always talking about that because it's your profession. And I like to delve deeper to know the person behind it. And it's a question that I ask everybody, Lyman, through everything that you've been through, what does being imperfectly perfect mean to you? Well, in my case, I am the third of my generation. So... I don't know if people know that I'm the third Lyman Good. And 
it's been my life's mission to fulfill a duty of the, my last name. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm born with it, but my whole life has actually been quite the opposite is the ability to turn, you know, all the bad things and all the bad cards handed to me and turn them into something good, you know, because at the end of the day, we only live one life. We get one shot at this. And if we just give in and surrender to the experience of the bad things that happen, you know, that's how, that's how you die. And I refuse to die that way. Um, I have a very strong spirit, very strong nature about me that is very stubborn and doesn't want to, you know, experience life that way. So I want to change my lineage. My father also didn't know his father. I learned later in life that if you want to learn to forgive somebody, think of them as a little kid. Think of them pure. Think of them as before the things that fucked them up made them become the person that they were later in life. When you see them as a child, it's more manageable to forgive somebody because you realize they probably just weren't loved. They probably didn't experience, you know, warmth of this world. They had it bad, just like you. So being imperfectly perfect for me means to embrace the imperfections and to realize that those are actually your powers, your strengths. I'm only realizing now in my 30s that all the things that I was scared of showing the world is actually the things that set me apart and makes me actually very strong and gives me you know, all the tools that I need in order to succeed and to do something great in this world. So the imperfections are actually are your perfections. If, you know, it's like an oxymoron, but all of your imperfections, man, it's like you put those things together. Those are your weapons, all the shackles and all the things and all the weight and all the bad shit that you think is terrible or is actually good for you. It's building you, you know, so I want to talk about really briefly, well, not even briefly, because I think it's important and how we connect it through a mental health movement you're doing yourself. Good theory. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a good theory is a passion project of mine. My partner and I started it. And it's basically like what I just said, taking all of the imperfections and all of my, uh, the things I've experienced in life and turning those into lessons and ways to help other people conjure up the strength for them to move on and to learn to heal and to realize, you know, that there's ways out. You know, I've been on the other side of having a barrel pointed at the side of your head. I've been close to that. But because we don't have these conversations, we don't have more of what you're doing and having a platform that's open to this type of discussion that's very, like, you know, um, I don't know. It's it's like people are afraid to discuss because of that is why we're losing a lot of good men in this world and women. Sorry, by men, I mean, you know, humans, people. And good theory is basically my contribution to this world to open up the platform, to let people know, like, listen, whatever you see or think of me as even at this level, at this career, at this, you know, masculine, strong world, I I've gone through things and it's very possible. It's it's very, um, there's a world that exists that you don't know yet, but you have to first heal and you have to open up and have these discussions and not stay silent, not stay quiet and 
think that the end of it is, you know, killing yourself, suicide, you know. Where? So good theory is, is basically my, a, a way to promote self, um, uh, you know, awareness to mental health and, you know, basically sharing my experiences. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not, you know, professing to go on and say I could heal people. I'm just sharing my experiences. You take from it what sticks with you. But in hopes that everything that I've went through that I can share, I hope it gives other people hope and people to know the ability that they can overcome whatever it is that they're going through. But I think there, even even you saying that, mate, you are healing people because I think storytelling is one of the oldest forms of communication. And I was even talking about it the other day when I went through my struggles and I and I can only ask you as well. You know, sometimes in this day and age where you're given pamphlets or you're sent to websites to read, the last thing you want to do is yeah. get out of bed and read something. So I think that human element, that connection, that storytelling, it really sets it apart. Was that was that similar for you? You're going through healing and then maybe a doctor or someone gives you some text and you're like, go read this. And it's just like, I need to offload, but I can't read something because I can't tangibly get out of bed at this state. Yeah, I think um, people, you know, they, they, they need the help. And I think it's a, that's why conversation, I'm a very personable type of guy. You know, I, I like having one-on-ones. I like talking to people. But I think the more we do that, the less, you know, the, the, the less someone will feel like they're alone. And that's the other thing about healing is that you're very alone. Healing is a very lonely thing. Mm-hmm. In a sense, it's meant to be. And it almost should because you're de- depleting yourself of external influences that play a role in your healing or not healing. But overall, it's just a very lonely path to have, you know, as you're healing, but it doesn't mean that other people can't be there. And that's why support is important. You know, I, ha- I had support, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of skipping over some parts of my healing process, but a big part of it was support. I mean, I met my partner in the midst of it. You know, it was literally like, I, I'm used to having people enter my world during my best. Mm-hmm. With her, it was the first time I'm letting her enter during my absolute worst, my lowest. It's like I have nothing to offer. And it's like, man, like that level of support to uh, to be there, to allow yourself to still want to be by my side and help and, and um, you know, be a part of this crazy wild ride that I was going through at the time says a lot about people as well. You know, you have to allow people to enter the world, though. You can't change by yourself. I think some people think they can. They can lay in bed and then hope the next day will be better. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Sometimes you could lay in bed for a very, very long time and hope, because I did that as well. And nothing changes and nothing changes. So atmosphere is everything. Your environment is everything. And the people you're surrounded by is everything. That's why you need support and you need the help of others. And you touched upon it briefly before, like spiritually or with your faith. Was that something that played a part of it as well to keep you through with the clarity that now you do and the wisdom that you pour out through everything that you put out in content? Yes, absolutely. I um, so I'm very uh, I'm more spiritually in tune now, you know, than I was before. And there was a point where I just stopped. I hated everything, anything that. It was like I was the anti of healing. Anything that was meant to enter my world to try to heal me, I wanted I wanted it gone. I wanted to destroy it because I didn't see 
not to sidetrack, but healing also, and, and to me, this is important. That's why I'm, I'm bringing this up. Healing also has to do with the ability for you to feel that you deserve to heal. And I don't think we talk about that a lot. I think people think that oh, all people should heal because they deserve to. The problem is that not, not everyone thinks they deserve healing because I, I experienced that. I didn't want to heal because I felt that that is where I deserve to be. I didn't deserve better days. If anything, I needed worse and worse and worse. And part of the reason I also probably didn't take my own life because I felt that was even too easy. That I needed to suffer. I needed to enjoy these days that were just dark and long and punish myself. And then maybe I give myself permission to die. I give myself the okay to leave this world, you know? But, you know, it, it all starts with feeling worth. You have to have a sense of worth in your life and feel that you are worth saving. You're worth, uh, you know, having better and you have to love yourself too. That was a big factor is for me, it was self-love because I didn't love myself. People think like, oh, what does that mean? Like self-love, like, but if you if you really dive deeper into the subject, it is the make or break in life because people who keep themselves in these terrible relationships, people that by habit do these things that are very self-sabotaging, uh, all of it has to do with your own self-worth and how much you love yourself. So you have to first love yourself and you have to, you know, feel that you're that you are worth healing. Yeah. One question that I just want to finish with and I think is important is because, as I say, looking at yourself, looking at your socials, if people didn't read your posts and see how humble you are and leave with humility and the wisdom that you pour out and they just see this fighter, the epitome of masculinity, what would you say to any man out there or any youngster, male, and I'm not disregarding women here at all, it, it can be anybody, but in a way that us men act and try and mask things because of what we've grown up with, what would you say to the camera, to the audience, as as a man speaking, who people may look up to you and think, oh, he's got it all together because look at him, he's, he's a fighter, he's... he's... Um, I mean, you know, cat's out of the bag now. This is the most I've ever spoken about my shortcomings in life. No, it's still a struggle, but I, it gets easier in time. But I think by doing that, I disavow the image of perfection, especially in my world, because I'm far from it. So anyone out there watching, I am by no means perfect. I've failed and I've failed many times. I've done bad things. I've not lived up to my last name. I've, you know, I've not healed. Um, I've had things happen to me as a kid. I grew up poor. I mean, anything you could think of, I've experienced, you know, with the exception of, of certain, you know, things, there's always worse. But regardless, I am far from perfect. I think people need to stop giving so much light to social media. But what I put out there is just more of a, is, it is a character. It is a, an extension of, of my being. I'd like to, you know, end it like that by saying that when you see images of me fighting and I post that and that is me. It's not to say that it's not. It's just a, an extension of my personality because I'm a fighter in life. I fight in the cage. You know, um, I think people when they post things it should just be a little bit 
prepared to also show the other side of the coin of who you are. Don't just put in, you know, uh, I think that has to do with securities. That's a whole other subject. But if you're going to put things, of course, like put all your, you know, awesome moments that you feel most happy is doing and all that shit. But at the same time, don't just put that and act like you're perfect because you're ruining the minds of people who are actually believing this act that you're putting up. Yeah. You know, I think we had to be okay with it. it so I think it starts with just normalizing, not being perfect. Cause we live in this perfect world, you know, this idea that, you know, I only want to post, you know, just like that. I'm, I'm doing amazing. I'm great. And I'm living, you know, better than I actually am. Yeah. But I think to me, those are actually the saddest people because they had to live just based off of an illusion versus people who are at least more honest and forthcoming. They at least get to talk about it. So that's my opinion on that. See, it's season 18. I've just asked this question to everybody and I just need to ask you, I know I said that was the last question, but in the world of the digital era, social media and the highlight reels, I'm asking all those people that have reached those levels of success. And again, it might not be something that you see yourself as, at your peak yet. Like we never know because it's your personal journey. How long, Lyman, has it taken you in social media terms to be this overnight success? How long has it taken you with that career? Yeah, I mean, my, I'm almost 18 years professionally fighting. You know, it's taken many years to build up to that but funny enough it's also taken that many years to build it down because as much as i've been working hard to build up this image i realize now at this point in my life that i'm also prepared to build it down so that people could see the true me and realize that that's not the only me so it comes with building up and also your ability to build down your image because that is not just who you are whatever we put out there there's more to us. We're such multifaceted people and creatures and human beings. And we experience and feel so many things. It's impossible to just be one thing and put that out there and just project yourself as perfect, you know, but yeah, sev 17 years as a professional fighting, building up this image. See guys, you heard it here first. Everybody that has been answering that question has been way over 15 years so far. And it's just this pertain of social media where people are highlighting you can be an overnight success and this blueprint to success. And it, it, like you say, if you've got a lot of triggers and everything patterns that you're going through, it can take years. But Lionel, I just want to say, like, thank you for sharing everything. The wisdom that you pour out, mate, is just undeniable. Um, where can people find out more information about you and of good, good theory as well? On our socials, uh, for Good Theory, it's good.theory. And we have a website, goodtheorywellness.com. On my personal one, it's Lyman Good MMA. So I also invite people to, you know, there, there's always going to be what I say and then what people are inquisitive about. So I invite all the viewers to message me, ask me any questions, you know, that you feel if you want to know a little bit more not about the, the good and the ups, but more about the downs and, you know, the shortcomings and all that. I welcome that conversation as well, because to me, I've, I am starting to realize the power of the value in that, where people can relate to each other by asking about, like, shit, man, like, what was your lowest point? How did you deal with that? How was that? Versus asking me about something that, you know, they feel like they'll never achieve anyways. 
So what's the point? I just want to say thank you very much for your time. Such an honor to chat with you. Um, Guys, I'm going to put up all the links where you can find out everything about Good Theory and of Lyman. But remember, the whole thing about Imperfectly Perfect campaign is to have these hard conversations because it is the hard conversations that save lives. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.